thank you for joining us today. Pleasure, nice to be here. It's so nice to have you and I, I, I must admit you are you're one of the few authors I've read multiple books by, so it's a genuine pleasure to meet you today. When when Tim asked Thank if I could you. step in, um, I, I must admit I jumped at the chance. And it's this isn't just an exciting time for me, it's an exciting time for all of your readers as the Cicero trilogy has just been released in a single volume, which must be quite a weighty tome. And I've, I've got to it confess is. that... It is. Purely by coincidence, I haven't... <laughs> Excellent. Here. It's nearly just under a thousand pages. So, Good Lord. Uh, That's, but it's uh, I say this not to do with me, but they've really done a beautiful job with the end papers and it's got maps and this great ribbon so you can keep going through it. Oh. And quite easy to read typeface. So it's, it's yeah, it's, it's really nice. And it does feel like the culmination of over 10 years work to see it all together. I, I bet it must be a hell of a thing. And at the moment, I'm halfway through Lustrum or Conspirator in the US and Italy, which is the second book in the volume. Um, I can't wait to see where it goes. And it must be it must be quite tricky when sort of weaving a narrative that includes historical details. Where do you kind of draw the line between detailed historical accounts and telling a good story? Well, I... First of all, I thought that I could at least do a service by writing the novels that would mean that they would have some worth of giving you a feel of what the period was like and how mm. the politics operated. So I tried to make it accurate. I tried to stick to the public sources um, and the, the ancient um, sources so that, um, you know, I didn't go off in any kind of wild theories. Um, and, I, and my general rule was um, I would not put something in the novels that I knew to be untrue. Mm. You know, uh, uh, but that having taken that rule, I was then free to embroider around the conversations that might have gone on in private or whatever. So the, so, so the, the, all the public events are correct. The characters uh, have the, the stories that they're supposed to have. Uh, and then once I've got that framework, then a lot of it is really a bit like archaeology you know mm. i often felt that i was uncovering a mosaic floor you know and, and i kept rubbing and i would be filling it in and, and get the pattern that's excellent so you mentioned it was it's been 10 years in the making which is a, a long old slog so on on average how how often do you spend doing the detailed research on on a book what how, how is that a weeks months years well it depends for this one um I knew from the start it was planned as a trilogy mm. and that meant um, that I had to have a conception of everything that would happen over the 30 years or so that the book would span. So I had to do, I did nothing but research for two years, literally. Um, I went through everything and I eventually ended up with a chronological research file that was over half a million words long. And that was the great resource I could always draw on because everything pretty well that happened was in there. And, and because of word and so on, you know, you can search it and, and, and find patterns and characters. So that was the first thing. So it was two years to do the research and then just under a year to write Imperium. Then I wrote another book. Uh, then I came back and did the second volume and so on. I, I, I interspersed the trilogy with other novels. Mm -hmm. And each time I came back to it, I had to um, re-research it really and find the, the arc of a new novel that could stand alone because each of the books was designed to be read on its own. So the Imperium, the first one, mm. is Cicero's rise to power. 
The second one, Lustrum or Conspirata or Titan in, in Germany, is Cicero in power. And the third one, Dictator, is Cicero uh, surviving, having fallen from power. So mm. that was the overall arch shape. I mean, normally, if I'm writing a book, uh, I like to research it in six months and write it in six months, if mm. I can. So was that a conscious decision to kind of step away and write a different novel in between the books, or did it just happen that way? Well, sometimes things come up and they seem urgent. Mm. Uh, after I'd written Imperium, I had the idea for a ghostwriter writing about a prime minister in exile in America because he was being prosecuted for war crimes trials. Well, that that implied that I had to get on and do it quite quickly. <laughs> so I broke off and wrote that and then went back to, to ancient Rome. And I followed that pattern. One, one advantage is that I grew old alongside Cicero. I mean, I ended up more or less the same age as he was uh, when he died and I started it sort of um, what in my 40s. So, um, you know, I think that that was an advantage actually. Something I really love about the books is that it's told essentially through the, the lens and from the perspective of a Roman slave. And it's the relationship between him and Cicero I, I find really engaging, particularly from an archaeological perspective. And uh, Time Team just spent the weekend digging a Roman villa and it was it was popping into my mind even then that there are these two really different social classes living in really close spatial proximity, but existing in very different worlds with very different worldviews from very different backgrounds. Where did you start in constructing those two characters and their relationship? Well, of course, well, Cicero is a genius, and I wanted to write about him because he seemed very modern. I mean, we have all his letters, or a lot of his letters, and his speeches, and his books, and, uh, you know, you get a distinct impression of his character, and the character is surprisingly modern, and, and rather sympathetic for all his bluster and, and, and the rest of it. Uh, you, you, you know, he's a, a humane man, and uh, so that was the cast character of Cicero and I could have thought of doing a kind of I Claudius and writing it you know as the memoir that is discovered after his death but Cicero well first of all he wasn't big on self-knowledge uh, <laughs> as anyone who reads his letters knows and secondly I think genius is best described from outside so mm -hmm. I needed a narrator and there is this real life figure Tiro who was with him all his life and wrote a, a biography of multi-volume biography of Cicero, which now lost, unfortunately. Mm. Um, and he invented shorthand. And so he became the kind of perfect um, chief of staff or private secretary to a man rising in politics. And uh, that relationship really is, is the fulcrum around which the, the three novels turn. Yes. It's their, their story almost that kind of, for me at least, held me in and, and kept me kept me turning the pages obsessively for, 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 for many weeks. Um, so moving on, uh, stepping away from the book just a little bit, um, you've, you've touched on numerous periods of history in your writings over the years. And throughout all of the novels you've written, is there anywhere if you were to uh, be given the resources of something like Time Team and said, all right, you can go and dig and investigate one of the, the sites relating to, to your books. Is there, is there one that kind of sticks out, a, a fantasy dig site, if you will, that you'd love to investigate? Oh, well, that's a very good question. Um, there's a, an archeologist called uh, Andrew Carandini, do you know who I mean, in, in Rome? And I once went to tramping around with him on the Palatine and he mm. was showing me what he sure, was sure was Cicero's 
famous villa that he bought off mm. Crassus and that got him into such trouble. Uh, I would love to see those houses of the elite and their closeness to one another. Mm. They figure a lot in the Cicero trilogy. Uh, uh, and that proximity as a historical novelist or just as a political novelist, um, where people are in relation to one another, whether they're neighbours and where, as you say, Tiro and Cicero living in the same house, where they are spatially is very important for me to get a kind of dynamic of relationships. And um, so I would love to go and excavate up there and see, uh, see the web work of power uh, in that part of Rome. Mm, that's fantastic. I, 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 I'd like to follow you. That sounds like a great, great thing to investigate. Um, I do. I, I've got a project at the moment working on a, a classical Hellenistic site in Greece, uh, in, in the middle of Thessaly. And it's, an, it's a monstrous construction of a sort of grandiose, elaborate walls. Um, but there's a later Roman fortification implanted on top with some kind of extra, extra buildings going on in and around the site and to unlocking that spatial relationship between the elite and the, the non-elite for want of a better term but also the different potential elite houses in these structures is something that's always fascinated me so I, I'm, I'm completely with you there um so can I ask and I, I, I may regret this but um be, be before before Time Team left our screens uh nine or ten years ago um did you watch the show at all were you a fan of it Yes, I did watch from time to time. You know, I'm fascinated by archaeology and, uh, you know, I've been to sites, obviously, endlessly mm. around Pompeii and also Rome and Herculaneum, Ostia, uh, Paestum. And uh, so I get an awful lot. I've, I've, I've used the work of scholars a lot. And, um, I mean, the digs that have been going on in Pompeii mm. and the pictures that have come out of that new section, sector of the city being excavated, absolutely um, overwhelming, I think. And, and you know, it just has the excitement, as the programmes do, of, of a kind of treasure hunt and the mm. past lying there and our nearness to the past, I find very, very haunting, actually. Well, what I find fascinating is I've, I've, I'm a very a new addition to the team and seeing the last two digs being filmed over the last couple of weekends, I... Part of me always suspected that in the back of the producers' minds, they had a story they wanted to tell and they'd go out and dig the archaeology, but that story would kind of stay in their minds. But watching it happen unfold before my very eyes was, was fascinating. It was almost every, every hour of every day, the story would turn and ebb and flow in a different direction. And I think a, lo a lot of researchers look at Time Team and with a kind of a cynical eye, but now I've seen it from the inside. It is, it is that discovery process. It is that detective story from start to finish, which... It, it's so exciting to see it unfold. And what, one of the things that amazes me is the way that history is so, is, it's, uh, it's not immutable. I mean, mm. it changes. For each generation, find something new and, 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 the, and what seems set and fixed changes because actually you, people have fooled themselves. I remember when I was doing Pompeii, um, it was followed that all, you know, the, the eruption of Mount St. Helens, and so they had analysed pyroclastic flows, Plinian eruptions, for the first time. Mm -hmm. And for the, and that, as you may remember, uh, in the 80s and 90s, completely changed the understanding of Pompeii, uh, and that the eruption had gone on for a long time, and the city gradually filled with pumice stone and ash. Mm -hmm. And I remember asking a distinguished archaeologist, I said, well, when I was growing up, none of this was 
talked about people were just they did people the archaeologists just talked about the bodies in the streets yeah. did it never occur to anyone it was odd that they were all at roof level <laughs> <laughs> and he said well no i mean and isn't that extraordinary it never it, people didn't make that connection and so what's one of the things that's thrilling whatever the the dig is it always has the potential to completely change your understanding of, of an event I think I think that's one of the, the wonderful things I love about archaeology as a discipline and it's actually something I, I tell my students as, as much as I can is you, you can't necessarily ask questions unless you have a wide enough worldview to ask them and the wider the view you can have the broader the perspectives are better and reading and engaging with fiction and literature and histories is one of the best ways of doing that but also experiencing the world but any new perspective and any new student any new scholar no matter whether they're 18 starting a first year at university or a, a professor at retirement can always add something new and always ask a question in a new and interesting and different way and that's one of the things I enjoy about reading historical fiction, for example, because it it can tee up ideas that you then take as a question or a hypothesis into, into the next investigation, which is is always, it's it's always really, in, not encouraging is the wrong word. Um, Stimulating. Inspiring, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I um, know, yeah, I mean, in the Cicero books, you know, we've had we had a lot of the legions and uh, the emperors and the gladiators and the rest of it. Uh, the idea of trying to bring alive the political system, which was well, like the and I had it in my head, it was like the West Wing on the Tiber. You know, how did the whole thing operate? And just asking oneself basic questions like, how did you address the Senate of six hundred people? Men, or how did you address speaking the forum to 3,000, 4,000? How did you, mm. your voice carry? You know, technical questions almost. Um, that if you're a novelist, you have to describe, you know, mm. the weather and, and the strain on the voice and the crowd and the noise, you know, trying to project yourself. And one of the things I really realized was that Cicero was uh, an entertainer. He was not mm. quite a stand up comedian, but he did funny voices, he did an act. He, he really played like it was the London Palladium. Mm. Um, and he, he spent a lot of time with actors and those sorts of things. You get away from the texts and you just mm. start, start to think about what it was like really in the weather and in the open air. And then suddenly it's what it is like archaeology. Mm. You know, this is, my God, it must have been something like this. That was the great thrill of writing the trilogy to think that at the end of the day, it was probably like that or something mm. like it, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. And there are there are huge parallels within sort of the, I guess, the the process of filling in those gaps for fiction and things like experimental archaeology or reconstruction archaeology, where because you're faced with the, the challenges of filling in the gaps, you have to ask questions about how it would be done. So for example, on the villa excavation this weekend, the, the villa is built onto a bit of a slope. And when we were discussing the reconstruction with our, our 3D artist, Raysan, um, overcoming the, the slope or incorporating that slope into the building asks different questions and led to different challenges and interpretations that we wouldn't necessarily find if we hadn't gone through that process of filling in the blanks in the same way that you do in your books. That's really interesting to see those, those parallels. Um, something, something else that's always fascinated me about your books, and I'm going to try and avoid going into any spoilers here for anyone that may have not read them yet, um, but uh, some of your books deal with alternative histories or even histories as yet 
happen as yet to happen um second sleep for example um deals with i don't know how far how far to take this without ruining the book for everyone but um themes that could be considered archaeological in a sense um and possibly how people in different time periods look back on other periods um what 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 made you go into writing those types of books those alternative histories and sort of future histories if you will well i'm second the second Second Sleep uh, was very much uh, the product of the work I'd done on um, Pompeii in particular, but also the Cicero <laughs> books. Um, this idea of um, the super slight superiority we have in the modern day, uh, looking back on the past, on this civilization, which in a sense failed, uh, mm-hmm. um, or system at least that failed. Uh, and I, I was quite interested also in those those sort of the, the John Aubrey kind of figure and mm-hmm. the antiquarians and I I thought imagine um, sitting on the shoulders of a character feeling rather superior as they're investigating the past and then gradually you realize it's your civilization they're <laughs> investigating uh, and so the Saint Sleep is really a novel all about uh, archaeology and antiquarianism mm-hmm. uh, and it's applied to our uh, present day rather than to something in the far past I was in the past to them and it interested me having um, studied Rome um, uh, what buildings survive and and what what failed the test of time what would be left from our modern age and uh, you know I did quite a lot of research on that a modern skyscraper would not last mm. long 50, yeah, 60 yeah. years something like that um, a motorway would soon be disappeared, cracked, destroyed, grassed over, would vanish, uh, airport. Massive concrete structures would survive, uh, embankments, well, um, motorway embankments, that sort of thing. Power stations, perhaps cooling towers. I mean, that, so it, what would be left in the landscape? What would it look like? Mm-hmm. Um, which Those are the sort of questions, I suppose, that archaeologists are dealing with all the time. I thought it was quite fun to apply them mm-hmm. to our present day. What would survive, of course, is an enormous amount of plastic. Plastic yes, bags, yeah, plastic yeah. Cafes, straws. It would look like the plastic age, an age of trash. Yeah, <laughs> very much so. Yeah, I mean, I must admit, it's a thought experiment we use with students quite often. Have you ever come across a book, um, Motel of the Mysteries by David Macaulay? No, I haven't. It's Don't tell me he wrote my novel before. No, I did. not at all, not at all. But it's it's there are similar themes of looking back on the modern day in archaeology. I've got a copy of it here because I I, I, right. I mentioned it. But there's some amazing reconstructions. I don't know if you can see this of what oh, toilet yes. seats may be used, ritual toilet seats, <laughs> and other such things. Um, but it's a, it's a fantastic read and a tremendous kind of illustration that uh, shows what. Uh, what future archaeologists may interpret or misinterpret about the uh, the age we live in, the plastic age, as you so well put it. Um, now, I've, been, I've kept you for a little while, but I've got one last question, if, if you don't mind me asking. Um, if, if I was to offer you a return ticket in a time machine, is there anywhere in history or from any one of your books that you'd love to see firsthand to, to kind of get that, that firsthand experience on an event or a place? Well, oddly enough, I went this uh, summer for a holiday to, I flew to Thessaloniki, which mm. I've never, uh, which I've never been to, although in Dictator, the third of the Cicero books, um, Cicero goes to Thessalonica twice, 
first thing when he's exiled, uh, and the an enormous heat. I mean, I didn't go the hottest time of the year, mm -hmm. but they have 45 degrees Celsius heat. Uh, and then, secondly, just when the when the civil war is broken out between uh, Caesar and Pompey, uh, he goes back there. And it was said that the Roman fleet in the harbour at Thessaloniki was so huge and densely packed, Pompey's fleet, that you could walk right the way across mm. it. And for the first time, I looked at the harbour, saw it. I mean, I put it in the novel, but I've never mm. actually been. And I thought, my God, I would have loved to have been here at that time when the Senate in exile assembled and the army was forming and, uh, you know, any one of these things I'd love to see. Sometimes I wonder if it's not possible that light leaving Earth and taking so long to reach some distant galaxy, that at some point it may be possible to, to look in real time almost back to Earth and to mm. see these great armies or whatever deploying. Um, so that was something I'd like to see. Most of the things I've written about in, in the Caesar books, Cicero books and in Pompeii, I would have loved to have seen them. Mm, that's a fantastic answer. And I, again, it's a, possibly a place I'd love to join you and see. Um, Robert Harris, thank you very much for joining me today. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat. And I'm looking forward to getting back into the, the middle of a volume and uh, reading it through to the end now. Thank see you, you in so about much. three months. Yes. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> Thanks a lot. To ensure you catch all the latest updates, please do subscribe to this channel, follow us on social media, sign up to our newsletter and join us on Patreon.